When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, a very happy New Year to you, my man. It may be a new year. We're on to 2024 now, but it's the same old Sabres, folks, as they were able right before the new year to pick up a nice 3-2 overtime victory against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And boy, oh boy, they followed that up with a doozy a 5-1 to one loss against Ottawa in which Anton Forsberg went Dominic Hasek mode and made 45 saves in the loss. Taylor, yet again, the Sabres are unable to win back-to-back games, this time a, a very winnable game against an Ottawa team that you could say you're matched up pretty evenly against or should just downright be better than. But alas, as has been the case pretty much all season long, with the exception of one instance, the Sabres were not able to pick up a back-to-back after picking up a victory again against Columbus, I was at the game against Columbus at home. Nice to see them pick up that win in person. It was a game in which I felt as though they had outplayed Columbus pretty thoroughly from start to finish. There were, of course, the usual lapses that we've unfortunately had to grow accustomed to throughout this year. But by and large, though, they outplayed them very, very solidly. And it was an encouraging effort, even though it was against a, a bad team in Columbus. Ottawa game, Sabres, again, a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities generating offense there. But one of the hallmarks of this season is this team not being able to finish. So, Taylor, give me your take on these two games as we are now into 2024. Well, I think the, the thing that these two games had in common was the Sabres failing to capitalize on a lot of chances against very bad goalies from an NHL's perspective. And we know bad goalies, Brendan. We see them all the time. So I think they had about 90 combined shots against Tarasov of Columbus and Anton Forsberg of Ottawa. And they won one of those games, obviously. They you know they came out strong in the third period in overtime against Columbus. But against Ottawa, they hit 46 shots, and I think it's not enough to just get chances. Like, this is probably over some plastic, but you have to score. If you get – every once in a while, you're going to get goalied against even a bad goalie. It just happens in hockey. But it's happening far too often this year for a team that should be one of the, the teams that these goalies are terrified of. Like, uh-oh, we're, we're in trouble. We're playing Anton Forsberg against the Sabres. But they can't – They have. they've shown time and time again that they – have an inability to capitalize on some of these games. I don't know if it's them getting in their head or if they are uh, having worse chances or if this is just a matter also of the power play being as wretched as it's been for a little while now. It's a, it's a huge concern. I think at least with the Columbus game, you can say you got a good goaltending performance or a good enough goaltending performance. Uh, absolutely not the case on Sunday against Ottawa. Another game where it was clear that Devin Levi needs more development time. We should say happy birthday to him. He just turned 22 last week. You know where 22-year-old goalies mostly are? College. Minors. Overseas. 
Not in the NHL. Yes. Guys who just turned 22, that's where you usually find yourself on your 22nd birthday, even if you're going to end up being a good NHL goalie. We've gone over this so many times. It's exhausting to keep saying it. We've been saying it since basically last April that, hey, as good as Levi looked, you need to go get another goalie. And, in fact, they did not. Well, I actually, we said I, our point was they should get two more goalies. Yeah. Get rid of UPL and Comrie and get two new goalies. And that's easier said than done in the, the goalie market that we had last summer. But it, it's clear that this is a problem. Uh, as we'll talk about, Eric Comrie is no longer a Saber for now. He's in Rochester. He had an 863 save percentage this year, which is astoundingly bad. So bad that he stood out from how bad Levi has been with an 885 and UPL, who's an 892. So you really can't even say Levi doesn't deserve to be up when you're talking about um, the guys who are actually in the NHL, which is something actually that our guest in our last episode, Chris Baker, our last episode of the 2023 year, he brought up, like, did Levi really actually deserve to go down when you're talking about the guys he's sharing a net with? True. No, I don't think it's a deserve. I think it's a deserve in a good way, not deserve in a bad way. He deserves more time for development. He, this is this is you taking care of Levi. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this, this isn't you giving up on him here being like, oh, get this guy out of here because we got better options. They don't. And it they speaks to the goalies well, point. right. And as we've said, that speaks to the fact that they, by not going out and getting another goalie or two, one much more practically. It's really doing a disservice to Levi as well. It's not like that's good for his development. As you said, you know, we've, we've been using the phrase historically unprecedented. It would That's what this would have been if he would have been able to consistently keep his head above water and get league average goaltending. And so, you know, while it is disappointing as, you know, seeing him have some of these outings, because obviously, you know, there's one night that he could be like how he looked at the end of last year and looking like the goalie of the future. Like right now, he obviously is the goalie of the future, no matter what, you know, but there's nights where it's like, wow, all right, this looks like the kind of guy that we need in net right now. And then there's other nights where it's like, yeah, this guy definitely needs some seasoning in Rochester. And that's going to continue to be the case, you know, and especially considering, as you mentioned, that he's not really getting consistent rep, like reps. He's not con- getting consistent starts. So you're setting him up for failure by putting him in this position. And the analogy that I had made earlier in the year, I, I think it may have been right before the season started our season preview episode, but by putting him in this position, you were essentially putting just about as much pressure on him as the organization was putting on Eichel coming out of his draft to just elevate them and take them to this place. You know, obviously it's two very different scenarios with Jack. It was more so like, all right, this is our prize lottery pick. We are building our franchise around this guy and we need him to take these big steps to get us to where we want to be, to get us into the playoffs, to make us a consistent tender. And in a similar way, you that's kind of, I feel like, how they were setting up Levi, where, yes, you had much more of a team surrounding him. And in the case of last year's Sabres compared to back then, it more so felt like, okay, you're scoring in bunches. Goaltending really feels like the missing piece. But again, you are putting such monumental pressure on a guy that is – not ready for that right now. And that's not an indictment of Levi. It's not a criticism of Levi. It's just how these development paths go for goalies. They're unpredictable to begin with, but to assume that a 21 year old was going to be able to shoulder a starter's workload and play 45, 50 games this year is 
again, it's, it's unrealistic. And I think ultimately it's just setting him up for failure and it's not doing right by him or what his development path is. You know, I don't care that they may have told him when he was coming out and he was signing his ELC originally, Oh, you know, we're guaranteeing you NHL starts. He's here now he's under contract. You have to do what's best for the player. You need to do what's best for the organization. And by just handing him the reins without really any kind of competition, anybody to really try and learn from and to push him for him to kind of sit behind and learn the ropes a little bit more, you know, you instead are are, are pushing him out there and are expecting him to be able to lead the way at an NHL level when he's just, he's just not ready for it, regardless of how much raw talent he is, regardless of these moments that we see where he makes these, these special saves or these special performances where, you know, he'll put up an unbelievable effort one night but it's just we're at this point now that there's really no looking back in a way like there's not really a whole lot you can do. You sent down Comrie, obviously, and you could bring him back up at any point considering he cleared. Um, but it's not like you're in a position now where you can go out and get a, a quality starting goalie or even, you know, the average starting goalie. You don't really have that benefit right now. And so. By them not addressing the position in the offseason, among other things, which obviously we can get to and we've been talking about at length anyways, but by them not doing that, that kind of is making your bed for the season and now you have to lay in it. Like you're you're kind of screwed now. You don't really have a whole lot of options out there for you to to fix the mess that you created in the first place by not going out and trying to get a goalie to pair with Levi. Absolutely. Uh, and I think at this point, you know, with – how much of a long shot the playoffs are and the fact that you're honestly just it you, they just don't look like a contender and you're more than one third of the way through the season it might not be the worst idea that next time a goalie goes on waivers you just grab them and the point of that would be uh if you were actually concerned that Comrie is straight up too bad to be in the NHL and he's mm-hmm. going to be an 863 guy all year then I guess get someone who you think is between Comrie and UPL's level. <laughs> like there are guys occasionally on waivers for different teams. I'm not sure if it'll happen again this year. I'm not sure who an example would be, but I think there wasn't a recent example, if I'm not mistaken, of someone going on waivers. And it was like, I wouldn't be excited about him. He shouldn't be a starter, but if you're Spencer this star, Martin, I think it was Spencer Martin was oh, I, that's a good I brought him up. And I think that you had said that that's even like an example of somebody that just like a guy, like, yeah. Go him. Yeah. It, what you're looking for there is, the ability to put Levi in the AHL and not have to play Comrie or, you know, you just bring Comrie back up. I mean, he's been bad, but I don't know how many guys there are that are just going to be better. I think there probably will be by the end of the season, one more guy in waivers who you can be more confident in, but I don't, I don't know what to say about that. He's just been astoundingly bad. He's a terrible signing, Uh, but I mean, I think it's hard. I think terrible maybe is a stretch just given the fact that it was at like pretty low money. I know it was a longer yeah. deal, but you well, were it's goaltending. That's a big opportunity cost. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I think the logic of it at the time at least made sense considering they only wanted to go the free agency route or they didn't have any solutions there. So I'm not going to do like revisionist history because I think at the time, like I was like, all right, this can work. You saw something there in Winnipeg that was maybe good enough for you to give it a try. And the Sabres, I think, were kind of in a position to do that. Uh, but I, I mean, I, let me be clear. I'm, I'm surely not saying that the deal has worked out in any way, shape or form. I just 
that's a move that I think ultimately in the position that the Sabres were in at the time that they kind of had to make. And so it didn't work out. It is what it is, but you know, it's unfortunate that you're now burying, what is it up to, I think over 5 million in the AHL at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird, but it's a good example. Um, it, it's not really financial malfeasance since they're not close to the cap anyway. Um, but it's definitely roster malfeasance, right? Sure. Sure. Because, all that changed really from the, I don't know, the end of their actual activity period last summer to present is that they found out Zach Benson was going to make the team, which honestly, if he didn't and Savoy was healthy, he could have. So that's not a big addition. And they get their subtraction was Ilya Labushkin. So they had have for years now have had too many guys. It was evident they had too many guys. And instead of consolidating, instead of losing Olafson or making a trade or just deciding at player X, Y, Z. They just added other guys, not super consequential guys like Stillman and Greenway. It's just been bizarre to watch this happen. And the, none of these things have been high risk, but it's like, it just speaks to an inability to make roster major roster decisions or even relatively minor roster decisions. Like Comrie, I, I think I said there that maybe they should just claim someone if they don't trust Comrie. Well, clearly they have some level of trust for Comrie. Because they didn't drop him until now. They carried three goalies, even though he's been barely playing. So there is some level of trust there. Carried three goalies for three months into the season. Yeah. After doing it all season last year. Inexplicable. Unacceptable, really. Yeah. You shouldn't be in a position to have to do that anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at least I sometimes am more forgiving about the goalie stuff just because goaltending has been so bad. But to me not having a better plan than Levi becoming a backup and struggling through a, a season where he could be in the eight eighties. It's, it's not a good plan. So I think no, I, uh, in, in general though, like you have like goddamn nine defensemen. Why do you, why, why do you have so many defensemen? Why do you have so many? Most like, of which aren't good. good. Yeah. Why do you have so many bottom six forwards? Mm-hmm. Why do you still have Victor Olofsson? Right. Right. And that even leads to the questions about that we talked about in the off season, which is like, were they actually expecting Olafson to be a replacement for Jack Quinn? Like really, what were you hoping to, to get out of keeping him on the roster? What was there to, to benefit you for that? I'm by no means under the illusion that they would have been able to go out and get, and get some quality piece for him or anything like that, or anything of substance in the off season. Granted, they should have had the foresight to do that last year, like during the season when he was on his scoring tear. But either way, it's just about the premise of blocking guys and, and keeping guys who deserve to be up from being up. Yuri Kulik, perfect example. It, it's just like, you know, the, you say that guys have to earn it and that you're going to be rewarded for for earning your keep. Just talking about Olofsson, like, what did they see in camp the preseason at the start of this season, even that they felt it made more sense for them to keep Olafson on this roster than giving Yuri Kulik a shot, who is more than ready to to be in the NHL and find his footing at this level. And that all leads into the, the bigger picture questions about, as you're saying, use this organization's views on roster construction and building contender and, how you actually are able to take the next step. 
you know, because now it just feels like they've plateaued where it's like, okay, you tore it all down. You traded away a bunch of marquee pieces. You got your return back, rebuild, restarted underway. You get through the rebuild portion and you are on the doorstep of playoff contention. You were at that point probably around this time last year, maybe a little bit further in, but around this time last year, give or take is when within the next couple of weeks or so, things were really starting to come together. You had more of an idea of it. And don't get me wrong. There was obviously up and downs last year, but like you've been at this point of being at the precipice of needing to take this next step. And they didn't do anything at the deadline. They sure as hell didn't do anything in the off season. This year has gotten off to about as bad of a start as you could have probably imagined. And they still haven't done anything yet. And so it just feels like they're plateauing right now and they're sinking. And granted, it's a lot easier to make moves in the off season as compares as compared to being, you know, in the regular season, but it's not this unheard of thing. It's not this totally far-fetched idea that you could do something right now to shake things up a little bit. And in fact, by doing it right now, it gives you a leg up from some of the other teams that are going to maybe be a little bit more desperate than you are, quote unquote, you know, once you get a little bit closer to the deadline and then other teams are going to capitalize because that's the other thing I think that really characterizes this, this organization's dealings when it comes to trades, waiver acquisitions, free agent signings, whatever. It just feels like there are a ton of very smart, we'll call it like budget-friendly moves or moves that seemingly line up with how this franchise wants to operate, you know, where you're you're not shaking things up too much. You're not moving anybody out the door or anything like that. And they just haven't done it. They haven't. There's been a handful of waivers over waiver claims over the past year, like year, we'll say, like around this time last year, year and a half, whatever, that they haven't jumped at. They haven't tried to make the forward group better. They, for lack of a better way of putting it, lucked into their 18-year-old 13th overall pick being able to be NHL ready at this stage of the game. Something, again, we know, unheard of. And you, you can't tell me that that was a part of the plan or something that they were accounting for. So, like, what is the plan? You're just going to hoard all of these these assets, these players, and then as long as it takes for guys to eventually pan out, you're just going to pick and choose? No, you got to act with a little bit of urgency here, a little bit of foresight, a little bit of just getting out ahead of this thing. And it feels like now they're just sitting on their hands. I mean, am I wrong about any of that? They're just waiting for something that I don't even know what it is that they're waiting for. I have a thought on that. But first, we should hear a word from our sponsors. Let's do it. This podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. While you're probably listening to this on Wednesday afternoon, the Devils and Capitals are playing tonight. A more important Metro matchup than I would have thought of before the season. Uh, Despite their relatively similar place in the standings, uh, the Devils are minus 162 on the money line, which I actually think speaks more to their overall talent. The Capitals are kind of gotten lucky so far in terms of one-goal wins and Lindgren being much better than I would have thought it would be nice for some someday for the Sabres to get one of these goalies. That's inexplicably a nine twenty for a couple months, just a couple months. Anyway, <laughs> here's what you got to do. If you want to bet on that game or any other game, download the app now and use promo code THPN. 
New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. If bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. So it's a new year, a couple days into this new year now. A lot of people around this time make resolutions. And a lot of these resolutions revolve around uh, – people wanting to better themselves. But a lot of the ways they want to do that is by being more active, going to the gym more, going for a hike. I want to travel more this year or read more, doing more stuff. And sometimes people live up to that and sometimes they don't. I think Kevin Adams should be making a lot of similar resolutions. Mm. And being active is one of them. This is this fellow has been very inactive outside of the draft the last few years, especially when it comes to big, impactful moves. So... Aside from making those, you just have to be willing to, before you absolutely have to, figure out what you're going to do with a guy that there's no room for or doesn't fit. It'll happen again. So there's there's no reason to be like on month 12 of like, will they trade Victor Olofsson? Are they just going to let him walk to free agency? Is he even worth anything anymore? Uh, Eric Comrie, what are they doing there? What are they doing in that? Uh, are they just going to carry three goalies forever? Are they going to have nine NHL defensemen? Are they going to figure out whether Ryan Johnson or Henry Rokiharu have to sit, even though their third pairing has been significantly worse than either of them? A lot of big decisions to be made here, not just by Adams, but by Granado too. And frankly, by Terry Pagula, who I think also has to question at this point whether this regime is working. That's Granado, Adams, I don't know, assistant coaches, some players, anyone, anything, anything going to change? Uh, it's time to be more active. And going into next season, uh, if you really want to make the playoffs, unlike last offseason, you're looking at what's going to probably be like a 20-something point improvement to make the playoffs. At least that's how it seems now. Who knows? We'll see. And that'll mean making big changes. It'll mean multiple new defensemen, including theoretically someone who could play with Owen Power. It'll mean maybe moving out one of the guys that's not working. Maybe someone you don't think. Who knows? It'll mean uh, making a move for another big, important forward to play in the top six and, and be serious. You could compete with the other good forward cores in the Eastern conference. And it'll mean doing something in that. I know the market's tough, but this is like year four and your best acquisition in that. Well, your best acquisition, that's probably been Devin Levi, but there was a throw in prospect in a trade. Uh, your other best acquisition at the NHL level has been Craig Anderson. So yeah, a lot, a lot to consider there. I, th- I think Kevin Adams should resolve to be a lot more active this year. I think that's a great resolution. And I, I certainly agree. I think that I'm, I don't even want to say tempering expectations. Cause I don't really think they have them. I am full on not expecting anything at the trade deadline of, of substance. I would say at most, maybe you just dump off Olafson to somebody since you know, he's going to be walking at the end of the year. Anyways, if you can recoup some kind of an asset that maybe there's like a trade protection on it, that like, if he plays, you know, 
X amount of games or he scores X amount of points or he appears in a playoff series or something like that, that like a draft pick gets moved from like a, a, a five to a four or something like that, you know, whatever it may be, just something because there's no room for him here. And not that it's necessarily a case where it's like, oh, you're going to lose an asset for nothing, but you know, he's not going to be here next year. There's quite literally a 0% chance that Victor Olofsson is on this team next year. So if there is some somebody out there that would be willing to give something up because of a perceived value or somebody thinking that he can add something to a power play, then you got to take that opportunity. You got to take it. You just got to do it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really not expecting much. And to be honest, I just, it's so funny because I feel like I'm already seeing people saying, I'm not expecting him to even do anything in the summer or anything like that. And just the thought of nothing of substance happening in the summer and them just running it back and just you let Gergensen's Opozo, Jost walk, and then you let Johnson walk. Maybe you figure out a way to get out of Clifton, and then you're just going to try and like internally fill those spots. I, I just, I think that's a terrible idea, but I think it also at this stage of the game and what we've seen from this organization is probably the most likely scenario of what's going to happen. And who knows, maybe they don't make the playoffs this year. And Terry gets on them and says, the pressure's really up now. Maybe Granado is, is sacrificed. And then that means that Adams is, you know, really on the hot seat here and he really has to do something and that kind of forces his hand to have to do something. But it's just it's so disheartening when we hear about this plan and what their long-term goals are and this and that and i'm like do you even know what that is because i don't know what it is on a night-to-night basis when it comes to roster construction with the coach and now you have granado pretty much going out there saying that he doesn't even like that analytics don't matter and it's all i test which i think is a far cry from some of the language that he was using previously and some of the ways that he had talked about incorporating the numbers into decisions and you saying that in a favorable way that I think has changed a lot. Um, if you aren't aware of what I'm referring to, somebody was asked or somebody had asked him again about Darlene and Samuelson and how it seems like the eye test is matching up with what the underlying numbers are saying and that the yeah, underlying crazy numbers getting outscored while they're on the ice. Yeah. Right. Right. Gotta have a harder degree Being to understand bad, that. Uh, you know, those really wrapping your head around that, but that, yeah, that they're like terrible. And like, what is it that is informing that decision to keep those guys together? And he immediately went to attacking using data or not even attacking, I shouldn't say, but being dismissive of that. And it's like, listen, man, they're getting their face caved in. Darlene does not look like the same player that he was last year. Samuelson's struggles have been well-documented by this podcast and just about every other Sabres fan out there. And so, again, I just asked, like, what is what is informing those decisions? And so that is my resolution for Don Granado is to actually have some sense, uh, I should say a clear sense of what is informing these ever puzzling roster decisions because I don't think anybody could really tell you that. I don't think he could even tell you that because he's been asked that and he's been giving non-answers every time that he is asked about it. What is it that is continuing to uh, allow those two to, to play together? What is he seeing on the ice that's informing that? What is Samuelson 
bringing out of not that he needs to necessarily because Darlene's getting paid a zillion dollars a year, but like, what does he see in Samuelson? That is the, the right compliment to Darlene. And what is he seeing from Darlene that is making him feel like that pairing is working? Because don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm totally of the mindset that like from Darlene's perspective, like he has not been good enough. And if you're getting paid, like, we'll just like even go down a cut, like 10 plus million dollars a year. It should not matter who you are playing with. Obviously, there's exceptions to that. But if you're getting paid as much money as Rasmus Dahlin is getting paid, it shouldn't matter who his partner is for the the most part. That being said, it is clear as day that the Dahlin and Samuelson pair is not working. So as the coach, it's your job to be able to step up in those moments and say, okay, this isn't working. We have to go back to the, back to the drawing board. We need to try something else just to give each of these guys a spark that you are locked into for the long haul here. You got yeah. five more years of Samuelson and you're about to have eight more years of Darlene, both at sizable enough cap hits that your job is to be the solution oriented person within this organization. You need to be able to be flexible and you need to work with what is at your disposal here. And so I, I just, for the life of me cannot figure out what it is that Granado is seeing that he continues to go back to this pair because it's so evidently not working at all. Yes. Yes. I agree. And I think what's interesting about it is that last year there was a lot of time on the ice, if not mistaken, where Dalene played with Yogi Haru and Samuelson played with power. Those guys are all still on the team. Yep. (laughs) I would understand if the weird, how terrible Clifton and Johnson have been, uh, would force their hand into changing that, but I, it, they're still playing those guys together too. So, well, right, regular. and so and like, I think what's the what's the excuse to not just switch up the top four? And I don't know if we're, how, Ryan Johnson has to work into there too. Your solution there probably should just be rotate Eric Johnson and Clifton in and out of the lineup. I know that's hard because one's signed for three years, the other one is you're supposed to be your big veteran on defense, but yeah, uh, it just it seems like what's the frustrating is that the the answers there are kind of obvious. Of course they are. It's just switching it up. It's just switching it up. I mean, in this, this refusal to, because I think that that's a good point that you do have some combinations that you can work with here. I think for one, Ryan Johnson, I think is at the top of that list that he should be a fixture in the top four. So whether it's, you want to put him on the left side next to Darlene, and then you put Darlene on the right there, whether you put him next to Owen power, potentially, I mean, maybe you put Johnson, Ryan Johnson with Darlene, and then you do Samuelson and Power together, and then your third pair is Yoki Haru, and then, like you said, you're rotating Clifton and Eric Johnson in there. Or go back to Darlene and Yoki Haru. Like, try Samuelson on the third pair maybe with Clifton. There's just plenty of options here that just aren't being explored. And again, we don't have any kind of a reason why. So that is my first New Year's resolution is for Don Granado to have some kind of clarity with what the hell his roster decisions are, because there sure as hell been not very many of them throughout this season. Yeah. What else we got in that department? Uh, here's a pretty simple one. Tage and Tuck, stay healthy, my guys. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you can in that regard. Tage is a new dad. We should say congrats. So shout out Tage. Yeah. The personal reasons he were out was out last week uh, had to do with the birth of his second child. 
Uh, Pozo's leadership really shining through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now he's hurt, actually. I saw that today. Week to week, yeah. We should say a quick roster update. Kyle Pozo out week to week, and both Tyson Jost and Eric Comrie cleared waivers within the time since we had put out an episode last. So a little bit of movement there. Well, I wonder what they do with El Pozo then. Does that mean Jost is going to come back? It could. It could. Yeah, I mean, we have, at that. the time of us recording this, we don't. Also, for the record, everybody, as you're listening now, important to note that as we didn't do an episode early part of the week, we're going to have back-to-back episodes coming out. So we're going to have a Wednesday episode and a Thursday episode coming out this week. Well, hear me out, Brennan. What if we have a Friday episode? That's a much better idea. Let's get wild. Wednesday, Friday. Look at this. Getting a look behind the curtain at how the magic happens. AKA, well, what if we just did this instead? (laughs) I just think it'd be better because we'll have a game to talk about. Very true. Let's do that. All right. So uh, another resolution, though. Uh, This one is, I guess, even more simple than the last one. But, like, it's... The two guys to me that have been the biggest disappointments, I think it's a hot take because I'm not including one specific guy here. Darlene and Cousins really got to get their shit together this year. As you alluded to with their salaries, they're making a combined $18 million this year and going forward for a while now. Mm. So Cousins, don't get in fights with guys that are much better at fighting than you. Um He's got to convert him more. Cousins just has to be better. He's a significantly better player last year. I know he's not converting on as many chances, and that's partially luck-driven. But first of all, convert on those chances. And second, he's just not the four-checker he was last year. He's And hopefully things are just going to be better. Him, Paterka, Quinn play together. Maybe they just play like they did last year, and everything's better. But Cousins has been definitely a disappointment overall to me. Darlene, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Their best player last year. He has just straight up not been good enough. And his on-ice versus off-ice numbers aren't good. And like you said there, you can't just blame that play on Samuelson. Uh, I think you're not optimizing him. That's that's too bad. His numbers should still be at least better than they are now. Like You can't be getting outscored when you're on the ice. Uh, that's at even strength uh, at all. I mean, that's just – you don't get paid to do that. That's ridiculous to me. Uh, beyond that, I don't – I'm not – the person I didn't include is Owen Power. And I'm not going to be as tough on him as other people – because of the kind of simple thing I said uh, when we had uh, Josh from Evolving Wild on, that he was confused by so many Sabres fans were so down on power. And I think the answer is power's mistakes are loud. And yep, yep, they're infrequent, but they're like, oh my God, he just passed to the other guy in front of that. Like, what the hell is he doing? Huge brain fart. But he does all these little things right. Right. Oh, well, these good things. Now... If he actually is going to be worth a number one overall pick and worth his contract he has, he's going to have to do the, the big things right, too. Also, now know, is, I don't think Darlene is actually making the money this year, right? Isn't it next year? It's next year. He's got yeah, one so more year at the $6 million. We're getting paid a lot more as yep, we're all in yep. power. So you got to see improvement for power, but I don't think power has been as disappointing as his biggest mistakes would lead you to believe. And everyone yeah, else, yeah. I mean, no real thoughts. I think that with power, it's interesting because I don't think anybody is disputing the fact that he has made his fair share of errors out there. Like against Columbus, there was a couple of times that it was like head in the hands, like, oh my God, what is he doing with this pass here or this read there, what have you. But like you said, they're just loud and that doesn't account for all the little things that he does really well and all of the the simple plays that he consistently makes. And I sh- when I say simple, I just mean like the right play. He does yep. that very frequently. 
Uh, and also defensemen take a little bit, you know, it's his second year. And we, what we saw from him last year was I think a level of maturity, comfortability, confidence in his game that you really don't see from defensemen, his age at the time. And so what we're getting from him right now, it's not as though he's a finished product. And I should say, of course, that, that, shouldn't fully matter when it comes to the fact that like we're trying to get to the playoffs here. So like you got it's put up or shut up. But I just think when it comes to power, including everything, his second year in the league, loud mistakes, the little good plays that he makes all of that, everything included in there. He's far down my list. I think of the most pressing issues with this organization, but for my next one though, my next resolution, Taylor, it is about a very, very pressing issue. And it is another one for Don Granado and the entire coaching staff. And that is to fix the goddamn power play, fix special teams. And, and uh, so to kind of take a step back from that, we've talked a lot in recent weeks. Many people have about Don Granado's job status with just the Sabres performance this year, if Granado is the guy that's uh, eventually going to be able to take them to that next level, or if he's just a good developmental coach, if he's just a good assistant coach, what have you. I'm willing to give him a little bit more slack if it means that somebody at least is being held accountable. And by that somebody, I mean his assistant coaches. You know, I, I think people had to something that's interesting I think here as we're talking about the assistant coaches and particularly Matt Ellis is that you see a lot of people saying oh well Matt Ellis was an enforcer back in the day what does he know about a power play what does he know about offense and I, I don't think that that is necessarily a fair comparison because we've seen across sports especially in hockey that you don't need to have played the game at the professional level at all to still be a good tactician, to still be a good coach, a good motivator, uh, a good general manager, what have you. That being said, it is not mutually exclusive the fact that Matt Ellis is just not good at running the power play. Whatever he like his schemes that he has them coming up, it's it's boring, it's stagnant, it's predictable, it's all of that. So yes. Just because Matt Ellis was an enforcer doesn't mean automatically that he doesn't have the ability to, you know, be a good assistant coach for, you know, promoting offense and, and having a good running good NHL coaches aren't good NHL players. Right, right. Exactly. However, that being said, he's just not good at it. And it's a problem. And so I want to reference we've we've brought him up a couple times, I think, on here, because he usually will uh bring up a good little fact every once in a while on Twitter. But at 23 Sabres, Aaron. Uh, had posted the Sabres in December and started off this tweet was uh, for five on five. He mentioned their five on five goals for and goals against 34 goals for, or excuse me, 37 goals for and 37 goals against that five on five on the power play, Taylor, four goals for and four goals against. And on the Whoa. penalty kill, one goal for and 13 goals against. Now, taking that a step further. Sabres power play goals by month this year versus last year. Again, shout out to Aaron for the for uh, pulling these numbers up here. In 22-23, in October, they had eight goals. This year, they had three goals in October. In 2022-2023, in November, 14 power play goals. 23-24, seven. 22-23, 15 power play goals in December. 23-24, four power play goals in December. 
It is a huge problem. It, it's massive. The fact that this month they had the same amount of goals for as they had goals against on the power play is atrocious. It's terrible. And when you look at those numbers compared to last year, it is clear that they have taken a step back in that regard and that something needs to be done with regard to that. So what I will say, taking it a step further, in addition to holding the coaches accountable, in addition to potentially firing Matt Ellis at the end of this year and, and actually just cleaning house and getting down a, a new slate of assistant coaches or even just the entire coaching staff. One thing that I will say that I am imploring this goddamn team to try that I've wanted them to for quite a bit, but I think now especially is the right time to do it. Get Jack Quinn on power play one. I think that that is something that I want to say first that I think that the Sabres issues on the power play are a mix of not only personnel, but also schematically. I think that, like we said, it's boring. It's bland. You know where they're going to go with the puck. And so it's not even like the, you know, the team killing the penalty has to have this incredible sense of anticipation or anything like that because of the fact that the system is so predictable. However, you have a guy in Jack Quinn that is, obviously a very skilled player, but he's a very high IQ player with the puck on a stick in the offensive zone. And somewhere where we have seen him have a lot of success, not even just in terms of his finishing ability, which he does, but also just in terms of his creativity is his playmaking around the net. Jack Quinn is very good in tight quarters around the net or when he needs to make a play very quickly. And he has a very good reaction time. He has very good anticipation and he can finish too. And He's had a few games under his belt now after coming back from injury. And so I'm really, really hoping that sooner or later he's going to get a shake and get a real extended look on that first power play unit. I think that he's probably pretty close or he needs a little bit more time, I would say, to getting back up to like full game speed. But again, he's been practicing regularly. He's had a few games under his belt. So we're probably still, uh, I feel like, maybe a couple weeks away for him to be like really kind of in, in midseason form here. But what better way to not only continue to give him a spark, but also to reward him for looking so good since coming back than by giving him time on that first unit? What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a no-brainer to me, I think. The power play has been bad enough that you should be willing to try anything. Agreed. But this is, I think, even if the power play was humming along at a pretty average rate, this is something I'd want to see. He, yeah, he's he's been really good since he came back. I'm really excited about that. That's at least one positive we can talk about. Um, because you know, at the same time, there hasn't been a lot of positives in general. One of the big positives of the season, like JJ Paterka, not nearly as productive in the past few weeks as he was the first two months of the season. So Quinn coming in and you know continuing to score and looking. He didn't really look like he missed that much time. I didn't think there's much much rust at all. So, yeah, that's that's a no-brainer to me to try that out. I think you have to be willing to try so much on the power play right now because, to me, it's not really an execution thing. The other teams know uh, how they're going to try to enter the zone and are able to successfully stifle them pretty often. And when they are in the zone, when they have set up and they are running their system, that's also ineffective. So it's a real, real tough one, too, they're dealing with right now. And it's also, as you mentioned statistically there, that they're also giving up an inordinate amount of uh, penalty kill. Not penalty kill, sorry. They're uh, shorthanded goals. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I think, yeah, you absolutely have to do that. 
Even JJ, I mean, Christ, Quinn obviously is just coming back, but if anybody on this team has earned the opportunity to get a look on that first unit, I think it's him. Because the other side of it, too, is like the 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 penalty or the the power play forward lines are essentially just the lines. Like you have Skinner, Tuck, and Tage on the first unit, and then the second unit, it's Paterka cousins and and quinn and you obviously on the first unit i believe they've been having middle stat be the fourth forward there along with dalene and then i believe it's uh the second line benson and power i want to say what is keeping you from from mixing that up I, I i mean i would say why not even try getting a look of like maybe you have tage paterka Quinn, Darlene, and Tuck for your first unit. And then your second unit, you're looking at Cousins, Skinner, Benson. Who am I missing there? Casey and Power? Yeah. Or you could even do Casey on the first unit. Either way. Yeah, it was Casey and Power. Like, again, you, as we're talking about this idea of depth within the forward group that we've said, because again, like with how they've looked this year, I, I think it's foolish to be like, they have so much depth. What do you mean? Because like the scoring just hasn't been there. But a lot of the scoring, the, the scoring issues are that the top guys have not been scoring. Like, yeah, no doubt. It's coming into big... this year, like JJ Paterka, again, Casey Middlestat, like the guys that are at the top of this list right now, like Paterka, Middlestat, you know, Benson's at a 40 point pace right now. Those aren't the guys that you're really looking at as needing to be your your primary scorers. It's Tage, it's Cousins, it's Tuck, it's Darlene. And so to a degree, you are getting some of that secondary scoring right now. It's yeah, just... Oso is eight goals in like the, what, the last month See? or so. Exa- yeah, exactly. And so that's why I'm I'm just like, when we're talking about depth, it's not as though like, it's like, oh man, they just have four lines that are just kicking ass out there or anything like that. But you have depth in that you have the flexibility to adjust the roster around, whether it is the five on five lines or it's the power play lines that you can get a little bit creative and not feel like you have guys playing out of place. Like we're not asking you to put like Gergensen's on one of the power play units or something. These are all highly skilled guys that every single one of the names that I just mentioned with the exception of JJ Paterka is a first round pick. So again, like this insistence on maintaining these lines and the status quo, like, you just, you can't keep doing this anymore. Like you need to keep giving these guys different looks to get Tage going on the power play and at five on five to get Tuck going a little bit more. You've sure as hell got to figure out uh, things with cousins to get him really back to the pace that he was at last year. You got to do something to be a little bit more creative here rather than just rolling back what you know. And that extends to the, to the forward group just as much as it does to the defense as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's, yeah, you have to be willing to try some new things because you have almost right. a half season of hockey down, and it's it's just not working. Yeah, almost nothing is working. It's not working, and I and again, we we've said that Kevin Adams absolutely deserves his fair share of blame, one hundred percent. He knowingly did not make this team better in the off season. That being said, 
It's not like you said knowingly like he's being accused of a crime. Yeah, exactly. He is actually. <laughs> Trust me, feds are on him. But at the same time, it's not as though Granado has his hands tied and he's like, oh my God, I'm just working with this roster of scrubs here. Like there's enough there that you can maximize these guys and be a competitive team on a night-to-night basis. Be a competitive team that can win more than one game in a row. It's not as though you're you're working with the the 13 14 Sabres here Granado like there's yeah. a lot of talent spread throughout this lineup and it is absolutely an indictment on him continuing again with the accusatory terms it is absolutely an indictment on Granado that he just really hasn't been that creative roster construction like lineup optimization scheme strategy any of that there has been really not a lot of creativity, not a lot of excitement. And we said it a few weeks ago. We'll say it again. It is not good that it took for them getting to game 35 of playing this brand of hockey for them to say, you know what? We messed up. Let's go back to what made us good and competitive last year. It should have happened so much sooner than that or not at all that you're able to maintain that style while still trying to instill some more uh, of the defensive responsibility within your forward group and throughout the entire team, just playing better team defense. You didn't have to drastically change things and turn into the Islanders. So again, Granado, like get creative. Just (laughs) my new year's resolutions for the Buffalo Sabres, literally every single one of them, just be better at your job. (laughs) It'd be a good start. Yeah. I have one more, one more resolution. What do you got? People that go to games. Now, if you don't want to go to games for the rest of the season, I understand. Support that. Don't waste your money if you don't think it's going to be worth it. If you are going to games, everyone should try at least one of the hot dogs. That is oh, yeah. visiting team-related hot dog, which if you don't know what that is, it's uh, they have one hot dog every game that is basically, I don't want to say, I don't know what the word for this, covered with some kind of food. Uh, that represents the visiting city. So they like had like a clam chowder one. That's not the one I would have tried, but for Boston. But they've had a lot of really interesting ones. So, Brendan, where can the people get that? Where is that in the arena? I think they have them in a couple of different spots. I believe there is one in the market area when you come up the escalators. So you walk into KBC, you go through the tickets. I think on either escalator, if you go up on the right side escalator, there's that new Coca-Cola um, pop-up or uh, yeah. stand, the new one that they really renovated that we talked about in the first episode that or after the first game that looks really nice. Kudos to the Sabres on that one. I believe they sell them there. And then if you go up the left escalator towards like 104, I, I, 103, 104, 104, 105, where there's like the market area um you got a couple of your regular concession stands i believe it's over there as well so it's on the 100 level concourse you can get them but i've only i've been to probably like six or seven games this year so far and i've had it once but the one time that i did have it it was banging so i agree highly recommend i say next game we go to taylor you and i have a contest and live stream it on our Instagram of who can eat as many of those hot dogs as they possibly can <laughs> from puck drop in the first period to the last horn sounding at the end of the third. I like that. Hell yeah. We'll get like Yvonne involved too. Whoever else wants to be come and join us. Absolutely. That sounds delightful. I would love to 
throw up in a Keenbeck Center bathroom. Never done it before. Mm. So let's get after it. Where's the craziest place you've ever thrown up, whether from drinking or otherwise? Um, this is an otherwise story, actually. Uh, before the Bills London Jags game this year at the bar in North London, uh, I this is a warning for everyone of our podcasters that's starting to get near 30. It is not that easy to eat late at night, eat bad food, and then just wake up and be normal. And McDonald's, Uber Eats, this was not something I wanted to do in London, but I, through various circumstances, couldn't eat dinner, and then it was like midnight, and I was like, I better eat something before bed. And uh, I got Uber Eats, McDonald's, and I threw up the next morning at a pub that was having like a, you know, a fun pregame thing with a lot of Bills fans before the game. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's my answer for now, because I'm not going to give it any of the real answers. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) With that being said, I am not going to give my real answer that I was totally just about to give because of that, so never mind. (laughs) Mine was definitely a drinking-related one that may or may not have involved South Buffalo staple Pete and Paul's after the old First Ward parade. But anyways, though, we'll worry about that. (laughs) I don't even know if you know that story, but we... I know, but I'd love to hear it on um, hopefully this weekend. Uh, we will because we are going to be celebrating your birthday there, big dog. We'll give you a more formal one once we do our Friday episode. But folks, our little insurrectionist baby returning the big 3-1. How are you feeling? Are you? Do you have any other plans aside from storming the Capitol again? Or what are really our thoughts? Uh, no, you know, just uh, just taking it easy. Me and a few fellow Patriots getting together, making some plans and really looking forward to 2025. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, we love that, Taylor. Do you, do you have any other uh, anything else you want to talk about Sabres wise before we sign off, Taylor? Uh, nope. Great. Anything else you would like to add or share? Or do you have a recommendation for the people today? Oh, yeah. Real quick recommendation. I don't think I recommended Ferrari in the last episode, uh, but new Michael Mann movie, technically a sports movie. Really mm-hmm. good. It's about Enzo Ferrari and uh, some really interesting times for that company. Adam Driver, uh, Penelope Cruz, good cast, really good cast. All right, so I like it. I like it. I'm gonna do kind of a, a different form of a recommendation. I'm not recommending this for the sake of being like this was a great movie that you need to go watch, but I will recommend it for the sake of it's very much a, a stereotypical movie that like your dad would probably low-key get excited about. And when I say like your dad, I'm just saying like dad's everywhere. Today I was over at my dad's house uh, working from home from there. And he was watching The Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington. And uh, let me tell you folks, interesting watch. Denzel's obviously always great, but it is very much, it reminded me of, I don't know if you saw the tweet that was, or it wasn't a tweet. It was like a TikTok that was going around or a real whatever, um, like the week before Christmas that this guy made, where he was like, I have very important advice to give to everybody. If you're going home for the holidays, before you go home, do yourself a favor and do a quick watch of the show Reacher on Amazon. He's like, I don't care if you're going to like it or not. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But your dad absolutely will bring it up at the dinner table. Prepare yourself in advance. Be ready for it and be able to talk through this incredible show. And like, it was a really, really funny deadpan thing. But as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, this is just like an advert for dads everywhere. Like action movie, Denzel Washington, just going around and just like brutally murdering people who are obviously the bad guys. He's the good guy, you know, the rugged old ex 
uh, CIA officer or whatever he is, ex enforcer of some kind. And uh, granted, I will say I haven't seen the first two. I may have seen maybe the first one potentially, but uh, it is just classic, great action, a lot of a lot of goriness of him just like I said, brutally fucking some dudes up. And uh, it's very much one of those movies that your dad is going to love. So whether it's your dad, the older man in your life, whatever that may be, a father figure of some sort, sit down and watch this movie with them or recommend this movie to them. And I guarantee they will walk back from that being like, oh yeah, it was pretty good. I was into that. One of those yeah. classic, like keeping it kind of like low key that they're excited about it. Action movies. Cause that's just, I feel like a very dad core thing, a good action movie with like a good A-list ish actor kind of leading the way. Very much, I feel like, of a similar ilk to uh, like the Taken movies or any of those random kind of. Uh... Well, the Beekeepers, it's coming out soon. What's Jason that? Statham. Jason oh, Statham. Exactly. St- Statham this core. is even this is a Statham more... core movie through it, far and through. Yes. This is, uh, it's he's ex. Uh, it's a CIA like organization. It right. Like it's going to be, it's called the beekeepers. Anyway, he, uh, <laughs> what this is going to be great for the men of a certain age in the country. What sets it off is his neighbor, who is one of his best friends, uh, gets, uh, I don't know if it's his neighbor, but a, a woman in his life that he is one of his best friends gets scammed by a, a phone call, like a phone call scam gets got and gets all her money taken. Mm. So, he has to go and uh, uncover what this organization is uh, that is scamming old people out of their money. So, folks, think, it's called telemarketers. <laughs> yeah, if if you are looking for something to do with your dad in January, the Beekeepers with Jason Statham. I haven't seen it, but I've seen the preview, so I I more or less have seen it. Okay, right, exactly. You've seen one of them. You've seen them all. Why not? We yeah. love it. All right, very nice. Well, go watch some movies with. Uh, with the the father figure in your life, everybody just gave you a bunch of them right there. Also Dakota Fanning in this movie, very uh, pleasant surprise was not expecting to see her there, but she is the uh, protagonist on the inside. That's kind of working with Denzel throughout the movie. And he's given her like tips and stuff. And then they start working together and it's like a whole thing where he's doing his thing off the books. And then, yeah, he just goes on a crazy, uh, murder spree of some crime lords and it's it's pretty rad hell yeah dudes hell rock yeah. dakota fanning yeah. rocks <laughs> all right well, all right, well anything else to add taylor nope okay well everybody thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of straight up sabers presented by the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and of course make sure you're following both the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo on social media Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And wherever you're listening to this episode, make sure before you close out of the app, you are already following or subscribed to us. And we would really appreciate it if you left us a nice little rating or review. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor that we love oh so dearly, that being DraftKings Sportsbook. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Friday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sitting on the bedroom floor.